0: This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. The following was home crafted and recorded on October 12th. <laughs> Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. We're approaching November, which means there's an election right around the corner. It's kind of a weird one though. Austinites won't be voting on politicians, they'll be voting on issues, complicated issues, including how we spend our money as a community and what changes we think we should make to the Texas Constitution. So we're going to devote the whole program today to talking about what's on the ballot for the Travis County November 2nd election. And with me to do that is Austin Chronicle News Editor Mike Clark-Madison, staff writer Austin Sanders, and reporter Lena Fisher. Hello, all. So there's a lot to talk about. I want to jump right in. Mike, I want to start with you. Can you give us the bird's eye view of what's on the ballot and how did it get there? Okay.
1: Odd-numbered years, November is when the state adopts constitutional amendments that were put on the ballot by the preceding legislature, which even though that legislature has never ended, they did manage to put eight amendments on the ballot for all Texans to decide in November. On the local city of Austin ballot, there are two propositions. One was put there by the council. That's Prop B that we'll talk about later. But the big one that everyone knows about is Prop A, which was put there as a citizen initiative through a petition drive by Save Austin Now, which is the same group that put the camping ban initiative on the May ballot that prevailed as Proposition B. Save Austin Now is largely affiliated with the Republican Party and its consultants. It has a couple of Democrats that they trot out for show, but ultimately it's GOP. And in this case, it's Doing the work of the Austin Police Association, police union, crafted the ordinance that you will be looking at on the ballot as Proposition A, which would require the city to hire more police officers to increase police staffing. It would require more of officers' time to be devoted to uncommitted, allowing them to do community policing in theory as well as giving incentives and special pay for different things and it's a police union wish list so it's stuff that they've been advocating since their first contract back in the 90s.
0: And am I right in thinking that the money involved here is it tied to population? There's something here that sort of locks us into a path that is There's alarming that. For a lot of people.
1: Two things that lock us into the path. One is the ordinance calls for 2.0 police officers per 1,000 Austinites. Round numbers were close to a million people. That would be close to 2,000 police officers. We currently have about 1,600, 1,700. So we'd have to hire several hundred more right off the bat. And we'd have to keep hiring more as the city keeps growing. Austin is one of the fastest growing cities in America. So that could add up pretty quickly. The second part of that, though, is that because of the legislation that was passed earlier this year that punishes cities that, quote, defund the police, unquote, Austin's not allowed to revoke any of those increases in the future. Once we've put that money down to hire that many police officers and increase the police budget to that level, we are stuck there. We cannot take it back or else we are defunding and the legislature will spank us. The penalties under the law are quite grievous. So it's something that the city will avoid if they can. But if Prop A passes, then yes, we will be paying between 50 and $120 million more each year for our police department, at least for the first five years.
0: Okay. Austin, I want to move to you now because I know you've been covering Save Austin now for quite a a while now, and you've been tracking how this proposition got onto the ballot, not without some controversy. Can you talk a little bit about the legacy of Save Austin now?
2: Yeah. I mean, as Mike kind of alluded to, this is an organization founded by Matt McCoviak, who chairs the Travis County Republican Party and has been backed by the Austin Police Association. Ken Cassidy, the president of APA, is on the board of Save Austin now, and it's been supported by other conservative groups, conservative donors in Austin. And it really, I would think, speaks for a minority of Austin residents, but is able to generate a good deal of fundraising that has allowed them to use this petition initiative part of our city charter To kind of push back against the progressive members of city council, which are elected in districts and the mayor by the city at large, which are all except for, you know, Mackenzie Kelly, who beat one of the most progressive members on council. But everyone on council currently is more progressive than Save Austin now and the people that they would represent. And yeah, as you mentioned, they got onto the ballot here as they did with Prop B by deceiving people who signed their petition. You know, they said that it would do things that are not in the petition and got people to sign on to it because they said it would increase the training that officers get in de-escalation, which is not the case. It would improve police oversight, which is not the case. That's not what this ordinance would do. So that's kind of how they got on the ballot And again, they'd use similar tactics with the public camping ban earlier this year. And just to kind of talk a little bit more about the ordinance specifically, Mike talked about the staffing requirements, the uncommitted time. Those are the two big cost drivers related to this that led the city of Austin budget office to produce this estimate. That it would cost between 50 and 120 million dollars a year for at least the first five years. There's reasons to think that that's actually an underestimate. The big one is that the high scenario assumes that police officers would not get a raise above the inflation rate, like the typical cost of living raise. It's hard to believe that the Austin Police Association would agree to that, to say that police officers don't deserve raises above just the standard cost of living raise that other city employees get. They haven't done that in the past, and it's hard to imagine them doing that in the future. So if we have to pay police officers more, give them higher raises when they renegotiate their contract, that would increase the cost of this initiative. The other thing is the 35% uncommitted time, that is very likely to push the 2.0 staffing, the two per 1,000 staffing ratio, well above 2.0. And the reason for that is because uncommitted time only represents a portion of how patrol officers spend their time. The vast majority of their time is spent Responding to calls for service, mostly 911 calls come in and officers go out and deal with that 911 call. They're not spending a lot of their time on community policing things, walking a beat, talking to neighbors and business owners and other stakeholders. I mean, that's kind of like what the ordinance envisions how this time would be used. But the ordinance would require that not only officers respond to every 911 call, every call for service, but that they also have 35% of their shift reserved for this uncommitted time. But you're probably going to have to hire more than two officers per 1,000 residents to meet that legal mandate. So that's a part of it. The other part is uncommitted time is kind of this vague, undefined term. Right now, the department tracks officers driving after they suit up for their ship, driving around in their patrol vehicles as uncommitted time. But that's not really building relationships with the community that most people would think of when they're thinking of community policing. Filling out police reports, that is considered uncommitted time. It's basically any time you're not actively responding to a call. So these factors are likely to increase the cost estimate above what the city's budget office has recommended. So I think it's really important for voters to keep that in mind, that there are elements of this ordinance that for the city to legally fulfill And if they don't, you know, they'll be exposed to a lawsuit, which Save Austin now, I think, would be more than happy to sue the city of Austin over failure to fulfill the obligations of the ordinances here. There's these obligations that would very likely make it cost more than what some of the estimates are going around would suggest.
0: If the proposition passes, how does the city plan on paying for this?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's been a big subject of the opposition campaign. The no way on A is how they framed it. Basically, the city only has two ways of freeing up general fund dollars to pay for this. One is through raising more revenue through property taxes. And because of restrictions imposed by the legislature, the city would have to go to voters to basically get permission to raise the property tax rate above a certain threshold to get more revenue that way. The city's budget office is already predicting that they're going to have to do that in the next few years. That's without Prop A. If Prop A fails, the city's budget staff is predicting they're going to have to hold these tax rate elections. The other way is by cutting budgets of other departments. You basically cut city services, reduce service to free up revenue that can be redirected to the police department, which is why the No Way on A campaign has emphasized protecting the parks and library departments because those are other large general fund expenditures that would likely be rated by the budget office to fulfill the cost requirements needed to legally fulfill the requirements of the ordinance here.
0: And that is why the Firefighters Union has come out against Prop A, correct? Out of fear that some of those cuts are going to come from their department.
1: Fire and EMS are the other two things that we call public safety, are the second and fourth largest pieces of the general fund, which is where all of your property tax and all of your sales tax goes. So they're worried the Firefighters Union has actually voted to oppose this initiative and spend money to do so. But yeah, and then Parks is the other large piece of this fund, as well as Austin Public Health, the same entity that we've realized over the last two years that we need to drastically increase funding for is also competing for these same dollars.
0: I want to look at this maybe oddly from a marketing perspective, a campaign perspective, because as you pointed out, it seems like the No Way on Prop A folks, their signage that you see out there is not, hey, vote against cops. That is probably an unpopular message to a lot of people. Instead, they're focusing on Save Austin Parks and Libraries. Similarly, Save Austin now is taking an interesting approach in their campaign to pass Prop A. And that is, I think, sort of a twofold. One is a scaremongering, guys, the homicide rate is skyrocketing. Austin is becoming a super violent place. And two, the only way to address this is with more cops. Austin, can you speak to that messaging and is it accurate?
2: No, it's not. It's not true at all. Austin is still one of the safest big cities in America. Our homicide rate is still half of what it was in the 80s. I think 1984 is when it peaked. The last two years have been records in the number of homicides Austin has experienced. But as Mike said earlier, we have almost a million people living here. So the number of homicides we're experiencing against that population is very small compared to other cities. Beyond that, criminologists are finding, researchers around the country are finding that more cops don't really reduce violent crime, especially homicide. What research shows is that homicide is a crime committed by people who know each other in places where police don't patrol using firearms. It's kind of inherently an irrational act. There's not a lot of forethought put into it the way that economic crimes like auto theft are where criminal actors are kind of making calculated risks. Someone who commits murder, it's kind of just like a spur of the moment decision that they make to do so. And patrol officers are just not, that's just not what patrol officers do. They're very rarely going to be in the exact right place at the exact right time to prevent a homicide or a violent assault that's about to happen or that is in progress. Policing is just kind of a reactionary institution. And this is something that Chief Joseph Chacon told me in an interview that he sees, as do other researchers and criminologists, that police primarily respond to 911 calls. And that's an important role. Police can help people who have been victimized by criminal actors can help bring resolution to people who have suffered from a crime, but they're not as good at preventing it. Other programs, other community organizations can be better at that. Police can play a role in assisting them, but the problem with Prop A, it would require the city to invest more into the police department at the detriment of other services, other organizations. This idea that the city council has embraced of reimagining public safety is premised on the idea of spending less on policing so you can spend more on mental health services through EMS and integral care. So you can spend more on violence prevention through the public health department. But you can't do that if you have to invest $100 million or more into the police department. So yeah, the research is pretty clear that More police patrol either has little or no effect on reducing homicides in cities throughout the country.
0: Now, there's a broad coalition of folks who have come out against Prop A, Austin Justice Coalition, Travis County Dems, Sierra Club, Austin Pets Alive, Firefighters Union, Austin Musicians. The pro-Prop A folks seem to be less broad, but on the other hand, Save Austin now has proven that they know how to win an election. Can you prognosticate here? Can you read the tea leaves? Are people sweating this?
2: Well, people I talk to, people on the No Way on A side are a little concerned, primarily because the ballot language is misleading. It references increasing police oversight and police accountability, which is just not true. That's just not what the ordinance will do. But voters, less educated voters in Austin and ostensibly progressive liberal city, they may see that. And think, oh, yeah, those are good things. I want more police oversight and accountability and transparency. I should vote for this. But the details of the ordinance, they're not doing that. In the oversight accountability section of the ordinance, all that it has is that it would require city council members, board and commission members to attend the Citizen Police Academy. That's it. That's all that is under the oversight category, which, you know, for most people, That's not really going to improve police oversight. That's not what people interested in reforming the police department think when they are looking for ways to improve police oversight. So I think the ballot language is concerning for some. I don't know if we can really compare it to Prop B, the public camping ban. That was just a really visible problem that Democrat and Republican voters were frustrated with. And so that was a much different campaign for Save Austin Now to wage and much harder one for the opposition to mount. And as you mentioned, in Prop A, in this election, there's a really broad coalition of people and organizations who would be affected by this because of the huge fiscal impact. So I think those dynamics, we'll see how they play out in November.
1: I think that people as prop B realize that they got started too late in May. The city council repealed the camping ban in 2019 and Save Austin Now began almost immediately to collect signatures to overturn that decision by the council. It ended up taking them more than a year because of the pandemic. It was an immediate response to something that the council had done, the consequences of which were immediately visible to everybody in Austin. This is all taking place in a hypothetical environment, because even with record-breaking numbers of murders, this is still something that Austin and I will not experience. And so they have to just imagine. And so we don't really know how that's going to play with the voters.
0: Well, believe it or not, there is more on the ballot than just Prop A. So I want to bring Lena Fisher into this conversation. But before we do that, if you're just tuning in, I just want to remind you that this is the Austin Chronicle show on Co-op 91.7, streaming through koop.org, and we are devoting the entire program to the upcoming election. So, Lena, you have been tracking the Proposition B, different Proposition B than we were just talking about. This is the one related to a land swap. It's a little bit confusing to wrap your head around, so I'm hoping that you can make easy sense of it for us. I will try to clarify this. So basically, there's a nine-acre plot that sits on
3: Lakeshore Boulevard, South Lakeshore Boulevard, at the intersection of Pleasant Valley. And it's right next to the tech company Oracle's headquarters. So basically, the way this came about is Oracle wants to acquire that nine-acre plot. But because it is currently publicly owned Parkland, it's being used as a central maintenance facility for the Parks Department. There needs to be a ballot
0: proposition for the voters to decide to give that up. Because the, the city owns that land?
3: Yes, it is city-owned parkland, certainly. But That's it's true. not open to the public. It's a maintenance facility that houses trucks and things like that. So basically, there are three stipulations for anyone who wants to bid on this property. It's most likely going to be Oracle, but technically any entity could bid on it once it's alienated. The first stipulation is there has to be a swap of 48 acres, waterfront property that is continuous to existing parkland, The second is the money to build a new central maintenance facility. And the third is money to restore parkland that is currently being used as a maintenance facility next to Piesta Gardens. So anybody could bid on this as long as they meet those three stipulations or do better.
0: Is this a controversial proposition in any way or? I mean, anytime you want
3: to give up public parkland in Austin, I feel like that's sounds like it could be a contentious issue, but because there's so much, there's a huge ratio of parkland that we'd be getting that would be publicly accessible. And we're only giving up nine acres, you know, in return for 48. It seems like it's a pretty good deal. Also the parks department has been wanting to get a new central maintenance facility for like close to a decade now. This one is currently, the one on Lakeshore is uh, not centrally located anymore and it's just sort of got some issues. So um, it seems like it's a good deal for the parks department. There's also local Entities like the Trail Foundation and the Parks Foundation are supporting it. As far as I know, there's no organization that's come out in opposition. The only thing is that it took a very short journey to the ballot. So the Parks Board didn't vote on it. And I think council took it up in late July and then put it on the ballot in mid-August. So it's just been fast-tracked. But other than that, there doesn't seem to be any real contention about it.
0: Well, there is still more on the ballot, There are eight constitutional amendments. Mike, tell us what we should think about.
1: Yeah, we got to do this every two years. There's constitutional amendments. And sometimes they're really important. And most of the time they're not because this is a crazy state. The Constitution has been amended 500 times or more since it was written. And yes, they did try to just rewrite the whole thing at one point and that failed. So we're still stuck doing it this way. And to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot is actually really difficult. It requires a two-thirds majority of both the House and the Senate and the governor's signature to even have the election. So it's rare for anything to make it that far unless it's really important or really non-controversial. This time, they mostly are trending toward the latter. There isn't anything here like the measures in past years to redirect rainy day fund oil and gas severance taxes to the highway department to expand transportation funding by billions of dollars, which is what's allowing for the tech stop to contemplate rebuilding I-35, or for things like creating the lottery or back during the peak of same-sex marriage, backlash that was on the ballot. Nothing like that. These are all fairly small time. The most important one is probably Proposition 6, which is something that we reported on a lot during the COVID epidemic, that the restrictions that were imposed on nursing homes during COVID meant that a lot of their residents didn't have anyone to monitor their care. And this amendment would create a constitutional right for nursing home residents to have a a essential caregiver designated to be their monitor and advocate, which is something that overlapping regulations right now don't allow for. Other things include there is a provision to amend the Constitution to make it impossible for also related to COVID, state and local authorities to regulate the number of people who can go to a church service, because that was attempted during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, and then was quickly dialed back by Governor Abbott, because it was very unpopular with his base. And now they want to amend the Constitution to make sure it never happens again. But otherwise, these are fairly minor things. There is one thing that many progressive organizations want people to pay attention to, which is for, which is increasing the minimum qualifications required to run for a judicial position in Texas, which are being proposed to be tightened in the wake of progressive democratic victories in judicial elections in the state's urban county. In response to that a move to make it impossible for some of the people who were elected in some of these elections to be elected as judges because they don't have the requisite length of experience. That's something to keep an eye on, but there's nothing here that's going to change the way that the state governs itself going forward.
0: Well, in this week's issue, you go into sort of greater detail about all of these amendments, and also the Chronicle editorial board issues regular endorsements for elections. So if you want to find anything about the upcoming elections, if you want to go deeper on any of the issues that we talked about today, you can find that info at austinchronicle.com forward slash elections. Also, just want to throw a couple dates out at you. Early voting starts on Monday, October 18th and will run through Friday, October 29th. And also the last day to apply for ballot by mail is Friday, October 22nd, and that is received, not postmarked. So that's going to do it for the Austin Chronicle show today. I want to thank my guests again for coming on and trying to demystify this election for us. Thanks to Mike Clark Madison, Lena Fisher, and Austin Sanders. Also, a big thanks go to our engineers, Bob Daly and Andrew Solon. And thanks to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music. Now to get us into the mood to head to the ballot box, here is Alice Cooper with Elected. We'll
3: see you next week.